Many of you may have recognized Rebecca St. James and her brothers, uh, Joel and Luke, uh, from King and Country in that video. And uh, Rebecca said that she and her brothers kind of entered uh, this writing uh, agreement together. They wanted to write some songs, and they've been doing this for a long time. Uh, but they wanted to write some songs. She said, as we kind of were praying through it and wanting to write songs together, we just kind of felt this need, this deep desire for revival. And she said that uh, as they began to think about that, they began to pray about that, that, that they really felt drawn to the passage in Matthew we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 6. They really were drawn to the Lord's Prayer, to the model prayers, as some of us grew up saying. And uh, this passage in Matthew, and they said that as they begin to read that prayer and pray that prayer, they really begin to see how that prayer, that's something that we've repeated so many times, and, and that prayer that, that so many of us grew up learning, they begin to see it in a new light, that it really is a call for, a call for revival, that we want revival to come, we want to see revival spread all over the world. And they said, they wrote that song and they made that music video and it started with a quote from Rodney Smith. Uh, Rodney Smith. And many of you may not be familiar, Smith, uh, familiar with Rodney Smith, um, but Rodney Smith was the Billy Graham before Billy Graham. All right, He was the Billy Graham of the late 1800s, early 1900s, and he would travel uh, mainly in Europe and mainly in America and he would preach to, to sold-out groups and thousands of people at a time. And over 65 years of ministry, thousands of people uh, came to Christ at his crusade meetings. And, uh, and, and so it's when he was asked, what is it that's the secret to revival? What is it that allows uh, you to come into a town or to a city and speak in such a powerful way that lives are changed and cities are transformed? And he gave that quote that you saw at the beginning of that video. I don't know if you saw it. It kind of popped up pretty quick. But he said simply this, The secret to revival is to draw a circle around yourself and start praying for God to revive everything in that circle. And it didn't put it on there, but he went on to say that once God has revived what's in that circle, God will move outside of that circle. Rebecca St. James took that quote and she put it at the start of her video. And later she said, We pray that this music video is a blessing to you and yours. These visuals of worldwide revival, God be, or Jesus being worshipped, and families united have brought me to tears. Our world is in need of revival, and we need God's kingdom to come. And it begins with you, and I'm seeking, and, and it begins with you and me seeking Him passionately. Let this revival start with us. I don't know if you've ever thought of the Lord's Prayer as this call to revival. I don't know. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I have repeated the Lord's Prayer more time than I can remember. It's, it's that prayer that uh, we just throw out there. It's that prayer that you get your team together uh, right before the start of the game and you pray the Lord's Prayer. And we never really focus on the significance of it. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to read the whole thing, uh, but we're really just going to kind of focus on the first two verses of it, the first portion of it, uh, mainly for time th time's sake. And uh, we're going to do this kind of in the context of, of what we are doing as a church. And for many of you, you've been with us uh, for several months. We've been talking this idea of lengthening our ropes and uh, kind of extending our... Um, our reach and our influence, really extending his reach and his influence beyond just the confines of this building. So we've got several projects we're working on, different things that we're doing uh, to help make that possible. And so this passage really fits into it. This is God's calling us to lengthen our ropes. And this is our prayer response to what he's called us to do and why he's called us to do that. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we'll start in Matthew chapter 6. Like I said, we'll read the whole prayer. So we'll read verses 9 through 13, uh, but we'll really only focus on verse 9 and 10 in our time together. So let's read together. Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 9 says, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And, we do, not, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that your kingdom is alive within us. And God, I pray this morning that as we start to work through this very simple, very familiar passage of Scripture, God, that it's not something we just gloss over anymore. God, that we will realize the significance of each of these parts that we're going to work through. God, we will realize that when we pray this prayer, it is not just in vain repetition, but God, we are really calling on you to do something great, to do what you have already promised that you will do. But God, it is an invitation for us to be part of it. And so God, I pray that as we work through this text, God, that we do it with open ears and open hearts. God, I pray we would do it with an open soul. God, ready to hear your voice, to speak to us as individuals this morning. God, speak to us through your text. Speak to us through your spirit. God, speak to us so that we desire exactly what it is the words of your text say. God, that your kingdom come and your will be done. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Many years ago, there was a great king. And one of the things that made him such a great king was that he devoted a part of every single day to being available and being open to his people. Uh, he wasn't a king that wanted to be distant. He didn't just want to live in a palace where nobody ever came. He wanted to be available to his people. And so he intentionally kind of built in his schedule a set number of hours, a set time every single day that he would sit in his throne. And he would sit on his throne and he would invite the people of his kingdom to come into his throne room and kind of have an audience with him. Right? Now you've got to understand that for most people who lived in that time and most people who served under a king, this was very different. This was unusual for them. and They had never even been into the palace. Most of them had never even thought they would ever see the king, much less be allowed to speak almost face-to-face to him. And so when he first started this, there were just a few folks that, that came in, and they could come in, they really had an open audience. They really could kind of keep their distance, like he would sit here, and there were guards that would kind of stand down there. But folks could come in, and they could make requests. They could voice complaints. They could ask kind of, to, hey, we've got this dispute going on. What should we do about this? Who's right and who's wrong? Hey, I've got this situation. What's your advice for this? And, and so they could ask all the questions they wanted of the king. Now, it didn't mean that he gave them everything they wanted, but for them just to be able to ask those questions, for them just to be able to present that request was this amazing ability that they had, this, this opportunity that, that they never thought of. And, and so as more people heard about this opportunity, hey, you can go to the palace and you can go and you can stand in front of the king and you can ask him for whatever you want. You may not get it, but I'm going to be honest with you. He's pretty gracious when you ask him face to face. He's pretty generous when you come to him and you ask those requests. And so more people started kind of joining in and more people started coming. And, and so eventually it became so many people that the time frame that he gave himself to sit here and be present really kind of became consumed with the number of people. And so kind of like our modern culture that people said, hey, well, if, if we're going to get there and if it's going to be kind of a first come, first serve thing, then we want to get there early. We want to make sure that we've traveled this time, we've taken this time, we're, we've used this time, we're going to get there early so that we get a good spot in line. And so people started showing up just a little bit early. 
And they started coming up just a little bit early so that they could, they could just stand outside the gates of the kingdom. They could just stand outside the, the doors of the throne, and they would just wait there. Well, then, as you can imagine, things became so overwhelming, so good, and, and so exciting that, that more people said, Hey, I didn't get there yesterday, so instead of just a little early, I'm going an hour early today. And I'm going to go stand at the front of the line. I'm going to get there super. I'm going to get there an hour early today. And so for you guys that need a kind of a modern picture of this, I want you to picture the car rider line at every school you pass at 2.30 and 3.30. There are people who get there an hour early to be at the front of the line so they don't have to wait in line. All right? I don't understand that mentality. If that's you, I'm sorry, but maybe you can explain it to me. I don't understand getting there and waiting so that you don't have to wait. But anyway, these people, that's what they did. And so a small line started to form a couple hours before. Well, then people said, hey, if they got there at this time, then to get in line, I need to get there at this time. And so the lines just became extensively long. The lines became so early. People would kind of be there for hours and hours and hours just to be in line to go and see the king. All right. And so now you need a bigger illustration because we're not talking a car ride line. We're talking like a Black Friday shopping kind of thing. All right. You've seen those pictures. Some of you are those people. Right. Just go ahead and confess it. Like you've camped out the night before because the doors open at 6 a.m. Right. That's what was happening outside the, the throne room of the king. That's what was happening outside the palace that people were were all waiting in line and and if you've ever seen I've, I've never been in one of those black friday lines i'm just going to go ahead and tell you that's not me all right but i've seen pictures of it. i've heard stories of it and, and i've seen what happens in those lines that people get a little antsy and people try to nudge in front of each other and all of a sudden a fight breaks out and there's a little chaos here because everybody in that line thinks that their situation is more desperate and deserves more attention than the person in front of them, right? Like, everybody thinks that. Like, everybody's in line to get PlayStation 5 or whatever the hot thing is. Everybody's there, but I need one more than you do because my kid is desperately seeking this, right? And so everybody in this line to hear or talk to the king is thinking the same thing. My situation is more dire than yours. My situation is more desperate than yours. I need an audience with the king more than you do. And so they kind of nudge each other. They push each other. And there were times the line kind of got tense. And so to keep order, the guards kind of stationed themselves uh, kind of throughout the line. They kind of spread out, kind of like Walmart employees, if you will throughout the line, and they made very clear that if you cause chaos in the line, if you tried to break in line, if you got out of line and tried to cut in front of somebody else, you would be immediately removed from the line. You would not be allowed to see the king that day or maybe at all, right? And so there was, this is the picture that I want you to see, this huge line waiting to see the king. And then there was one day where things were a little tense. There had been some fights already broken out. Some people were already thrown out of line because they all thought their situation was more dire than anybody else. So everybody's waiting. The throne room time is about to open, and the doors are getting ready to open. All of a sudden, this little boy comes from near the back of the line. And everybody's lined up against the wall this way. There's guards kind of standing in the hallway this way. And this little boy just walks right past them. And he walks right past the first guard, and nobody says anything. He walks past the next guard. And then he starts to get closer to the front of the line. And all of these people have literally been waiting for hours just for those doors to open. Well, as soon as the doors open, this little boy doesn't, he doesn't pay attention to the line. He walks straight in, right, and past everybody else. And he walks past those guards that are standing there at the door. He walks past the two guards that are standing. Hey, stand here and don't come any further. This is where you make your request. He walks right past those, and he climbed right up into the king's lap, and he sat down on the king's lap. And the king just kind of looked around and kind of grinned, and he was like, well, how are you today? And so the little boy just started talking. 
And I don't know if you've ever had kids like this, but sometimes when a kid starts talking and telling you about their day, they don't stop. All right? And you, you, if you're a parent, you know that like you want your kid to start talking. You just can't wait till they say that first word until they don't stop. And then you're like, why did we ever teach you to speak? We wish we wouldn't have. And so anyway, this boy is sitting on the king's lap, and he's just telling about the day. He's telling about the star. He's telling about all this stuff. And meanwhile, all the people in the crowd are getting so upset because they know the time is limited. They know the king is only going to do this for so long. And here's this kid who has no requests, nothing important, and their situation is dying. And here's this kid who's taken up all the time. And the king's not stopping him. He's just letting him talk. He's just letting him invent whatever he wants to. And finally, the little boy stops. And the king says, okay, what can I do for you today? Which is what he asked everybody when they came in. He looked at the little boy and he said, what can I do for you today? And the little boy looked at him and said, well, what I would really, really like is I would really like to go outside right now. And the king just smiled and said, okay. So he set the little boy down and he put him off his lap. And the little boy turned and looked at him and said, thanks, dad. And he took off running out the door. You see, the king's son doesn't have to wait in line. The king's son doesn't have to worry about the guards that are stopping everybody else. The king's son doesn't have to stop where the guards tell him, this is as far as you can come and nowhere else. When the king's son walks into the king's presence and sits down in his lap, the king doesn't care about anything else that's going around except that moment. You see, you and I have a privilege as the children of God that nobody else has. You and I get to explore and have this beautiful picture of God as our Father. There's this first thing that, that, that Jesus teaches us in this prayer is to approach God as the Father that He is. That we don't have to wait in line. We don't have to stop. We don't have to stand still. We don't have to wait for all these other people's uh, time and requests to do all this stuff. That we get to walk straight into the throne room. We get to climb up on the lap of the king. We get to sit down in this instant uninhabited access to the king. I don't know if any of you know who Tim Keller is, but he's a, a great pastor, great theologian. And he once wrote, I think maybe on Twitter, I don't know where it came from, but he wrote this. He said, the only person who dare wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. You and I can wake up the king anytime we desire. We have that Access. You see, Jesus starts his prayer this way, and he starts his prayer uh, in uh, verse 9. And in chapter 6, it's part of the bigger story. He's given this Sermon on the Mount. He's really instructing in chapter 5, 6, and 7. He's given great instructions to a great group of people. And he's talking about all these different subjects. And then he gets to the subject of prayer. And he says, listen, I'm going to start you off with some warnings. Don't be like the hypocrites that say they're praying, but they're really just saying all these words out loud. Not so God hears them. They're really saying it so everybody else hears them. Don't be like that. He says there's another group. Don't be like the idolaters or the, or the heathens or uh, different translations that say different words, the Gentiles. Don't be like them that think they're just going to get what they want because they keep repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Right? So don't use vain repetition. Right? So after those two negatives, don't be like the hypocrites that don't really mean what you say. Don't be like the heathens that just say anything to keep getting what you want or think that you're going to get what you want because of that. You should mean it. And then he switches and he starts kind of this positive aspect in verse 9. And he starts with the positive. He said in verse 9, Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven. 
In those first two very simple words, Jesus presents a very different view of God than what most of the world held at that time. You see, most of the the Greek philosophers that taught about God at that time, most of them said that God was apathetic at best. That He didn't care about this world. That He kind of created this world, and then He saw what this world became, and He didn't want anything to do with it. He was distinct, and He was different. And so everything that makes us human, our emotions, our feelings, our connections with one another, God is distinct and different. And so because He's distinct and different, He doesn't have any of those things. That was their mindset. So God doesn't have emotions. God doesn't have connections. He doesn't want communication with you. He really don't care about you or anything about you. He has no desire to communicate with you or with me. And He doesn't want you communicating with us. He wants to be so distant and so distinct that He has nothing to do with us. You see, that was one view of God. The other view of God was that God was angry and God was vindictive. And so the only communication you should have with God was to try to get on His good side. That's why, excuse me, that's why some of them would uh, go to their, their temples and they would have all of these temples. They'd do all these sacrifices because maybe if we, if we get on his good side, he'll be a little less angry with us. He'll be a little m- less vindictive and he'll be a little less likely to shoot us with a lightning bolt or, or cover us with a flood or whatever natural disaster because all of those things in their view happened because God was angry and God was vindictive and he was mad about the state of things going on and maybe he was mad at another God and he was getting back at that other God by taking it out on you that was their view of God and yet Jesus steps in and he brings these two words and he says listen when you pray This is how you should do it. Now, I want you to understand, he doesn't say use these words. He doesn't say this is the words that that are magic. He simply says this this is a model that you can do. And he says you can talk directly to God. You don't have to talk about God. You don't have to go through Him. You talk to Him and you call Him Father. Understand the power of that. He doesn't say, hey, call Him the Almighty. He doesn't say call Him the Great and Powerful. He doesn't call call Him the Supreme Being. Don't call Him wonderful. And all those things are true, but none of those give you the invitation that you can go directly to him. None of those allow you to crawl up on the king's lap and just sit with him and tell him all about your day without this hindrance, without this time crunch. You see, when we address him as father, there's this intimacy that happens that doesn't happen with any other title that we give him. And there's this loving relationship. We have this instant access that we, as the children of God, and we talked about it, we've sang about it, that we have instant and access that we get to approach the throne room directly and go straight to him and and we get to to call out to him we get this full undivided attention you see we don't have to wait to a certain time we don't have to wait in line for everybody else we don't have to wait and make sure that our request is appropriate what we get is a god that says i'm here you come whenever you want and as my child, you have this unhindered, un, uh, in, in this unlimited access to me that, that we don't have to wait because He is our Father and we are His children. We get to go straight to Him. Now understand that by addressing Him as Father, it means that we, we recognize two things about Him. Right? One of the things that we have to recognize about Him as Father is that He is a good Father. He has beneficial love towards us, which means He is what every father should be, that he wants what's best for us. Okay. Now, some of us who are dads, we understand that what is best for our children may not be the most popular thing with our children. Right? That sometimes being what's, or wanting what's best for them and loving them in a situation, sometimes it means telling them no. Right? So listen to me. When we pray and we start our prayer with our father, then we need to understand that sometimes what's best for us is for him to tell us no. 
And sometimes what's best for us is for us to learn lessons the hard way. And sometimes what's best for us is for us to walk through a time of discipline and and time for Him to correct us. And we may not like it, we may not like how it feels, and we may not feel loving at the time, but ultimately it's what's best for us. And when we address Him as Father, we embrace this intimate love that we have for Him, and we faithfully trust that it is Him and Him alone that gets to decide what's good for us, even in those hard times, even those difficult times, even in those painful times, even when we don't want to tell a loved one goodbye, We trust Him because He is the loving Father that wants what's best for us. You see, our Father is like every father should be, and He's always available to us, and He's always wanting what's best for us. See, but there's another thing that this title of Father makes us acknowledge. Not only do we acknowledge His loving benefit to us, that He loves us even in the hard times, even when it doesn't feel like it, but we also acknowledge that He has a title that is distinct and different from us. You see, that He has a position that is above us. That, that He, as Father in heaven, is the title of Father shows that He loves us, but it's also a title that demands our respect back to Him. You see, there's the fatherhood of God, but there's also the worthiness of God. I was talking with a, a pastor friend of mine uh, this past week, and he, we were talking through all the things that pastors talk about, which I can't tell you up here. Um, but... Somehow the conversation became church and became worship. And he said that when COVID hit, uh, they moved from their sanctuary to their gym. They have a big open gym, uh, and it's a nice gym. It has a big, huge, if you kind of picture this is a gym, it's got a big stage on this side. It's got sound equipment that we could be jealous of. It's got lights and all the stuff that would make a nice kind of stage area. And it's got this big, huge curtain that separates the two. And he says, so when COVID happened... We didn't want to stop having church. And so what we did is we came in here. Because in here we could section off this section of chairs and we could kind of spread chairs out. And we could kind of do what we did here. We could take some chairs and move them out a little further. That's why some of you are joining a little more leg room here recently because we spread you out a little more. And he says that's what we did during COVID. And we enjoyed that. And we liked that. And he said, but... COVID's over. At least my people are over with COVID. And we'll take it that way. All right? My people are done with COVID. They're not worried about being close to each other. And we know that because as soon as the service is over, what do they do? They all just jump right in each other. They all start talking to each other. They're all in each other's face. Great. I love it. All right? And he said, and something I didn't really expect, he said, but I'm really thinking I need to move my services back to the sanctuary. Now here I am. I'm standing literally in this man's, the gym of this man's church. And, and I'm like, this is a pretty good-sized space, and, and I'm, I haven't been in your sanctuary, so my first question was, do you have enough space for all the people you're seating in here in there? And he said, no, I really don't. He said, this is the part that shocked me. He said, but I'd rather have two services in my sanctuary than one service in this gym. I was like, really? Like, I... I would rather have all my people together, and I'd rather, this is, we're, we're totally on different wavelengths here. And I said, well, can I just ask you why? Like, what is it about your sanctuary that's really drawing you back to there? If you've got lights and you've got uh, sound equipment, you can do everything you need here. People are feeling comfortable here. Like, people are open to worship here. And he says, well, because this is a gym. And it doesn't matter what sound system we have. It doesn't matter what lights we put up. It doesn't matter how much we decorate this place. When people walk in here, they're walking into a gym. He said, but over there, and he pointed towards the sanctuary. He said, over there. He said, I don't know. There's just, when people walk into our sanctuary, there's a reverence when we walk in the doors that we don't experience here. Because this is a gym. And it will never be more to our people than just a gym. 
And it got me thinking uh, that not, we're, not the, we're, we're not moving or anything like that, but it did get me thinking that sometimes, if we're true and honest, that maybe sometimes we do get a little too comfortable in the gym versus the sanctuary. That sometimes we get a little too comfortable with this first part of this prayer without looking at the second part of the prayer. You see, the first part of this prayer is this invitation to call Him Father, to come and sit on His lap, and to be in His presence. And honestly, if we're, if we're truly honest, I think sometimes we've gotten so comfortable with this idea that, that that's who God is, that He's just like your dad, He's just like maybe your grandpa, that, that you get to crawl up in His lap, and you get to sit down with Him, you get to enjoy this conversation with Him without really acknowledging the power that He is. The, the reverence that we should respect and the moments that we should acknowledge who He is and what He really is. You see, I think sometimes we, we've just kind of uh, loved the Abba Father, the Daddy God, that we, we crawl up in His lap and we just kind of forget the awesomeness and the vastness of who He really is. And I think that's the reason that Jesus follows up the invitation to open with our Father with the second part of verse 9, the second part of the prayer. He says there's this invitation, but right after that, you need to know His worth. In verse 9, He puts these ideas back to back, and He says, Our Father in heaven, Your name be honored as holy. Now, if you grew up with a different translation, I understand I've had to, I had to practice reading that several times. Uh, but a different translation would say, Hallowed be your name. And honored or hallowed, it means to be sanctified, to be treated as holy. It means to be set apart and to recognize that this is something different. This is something unusual. It's rare and it's different. And we treat it with reverence and respect. It's a reminder that some of us need this reminder that, listen, Jesus is not your homie. Jesus is not your bro. Jesus is not your bestie. Jesus is not all those things that you see on those t-shirts that we think, oh, that's pretty cool. Jesus is not those things. He is the all-powerful, all-creator that speaks existence, that speaks this whole world and universe into His existence. He is holy and He's different and He's worthy of our honor. He's worthy of our praise and He and He alone is worthy of our worship. And we forget that sometimes because we're so used just to crawling up to His lap. We forget that the rest of his powers are how amazing they are. Steve Gaines, a great pastor, once wrote this. He said, when I start my prayer with Father God, it reminds me that he delights in me and he welcomes me into his family, that I am adopted. And he goes on to say that when we follow that intro, with God you are holy. He said, immediately our prayer becomes a God-centered exercise instead of self-centered exercise where we just ask all from God that we can. You see, the more we acknowledge His holiness and His worthiness, the more we become aware of how unholy and how unworthy we are. The more we acknowledge that He is separate and He is different and He is distinct and He is special, the more we acknowledge how holy and pure He is, the more we have to acknowledge how unholy we are, how impure we are, how unworthy we are to be in His presence, to speak His name or to even be called His children. And yet despite all of our unworthiness, this is exactly what God wants. You see, His will and His desire is exactly this, for us to be in His kingdom. Jesus moves from acknowledging the worthiness of God to from praising Him and giving Him all that He is worth to kind of giving us instructions on what prayer and asking, to, asking the loving Father should be. We see this God-centered prayer in what He says, this is what you should ask for in verse 10. He says, you acknowledge who He is, and then you ask this, verse 10, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that, that's something we've said over and over. We've sang songs about it. But if we're really going to understand 
what that means, we have to ask these two questions. What is his kingdom and what is his will? Right? And so his kingdom is both external and internal. We'll talk about that in just a second. But externally, his kingdom in heaven. Right? So I want you to picture heaven for just a moment. Right? And, and I don't know what your picture of heaven is, but this is what it should be. Heaven is God seated in his throne where he rules and he reigns, and, and everything is under his submission, everything is under his authority, and yet surrounding his throne are these hosts of angels, right? Not the little fat baby chubby ones that you see on TV, right? These massive warrior-like creatures, right? And they are continually worshiping him, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is continual praise and worship of God. Why? Because His name is holy. Because He is worthy. Right? And they're praising Him. They're exalting Him. They're lifting Him up because of who He is. Because He's their Creator. Because He is different and He's distinct. And so there's this continual worship and there's this continual offering of praise to God. He is the one who is worthy. He is pure and He is set apart and He is different. You see, in heaven is not only this place of continual worship, but it's also this place of perfection, that everything there is perfect. Everything there is exactly as it was set to be. And it's so hard to us to picture this because we live in a world that is so broken by sin, I don't know that we would understand what it looks like not to be. Right? So take your beautiful picture of heaven and take even your best day on earth and try to perfect it so that everything is perfect. Everything is sinless. And this is a sinless place. And God enjoys His time of worship. He enjoys this perfect relationship with every creature, every creation. And there's nothing wrong there. All the wrongs that we see in this world, all the death and all the things that we sang about in that song, that one day there'll be a time where there is no more ending. There is no more hurt. There is no more pain. That is what's currently happening in heaven now. That's where He rules and He reigns. And so there's perfection there. There's innocence and there's purity there. This is why Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 14, He's talking about the children who have come up to Him and the, the disciples are trying to stop Him. And He says in Mark chapter 10, verse 14, He says, No, no, let them come to Me because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You see, His kingdom is as all the beauties of heaven without the disorder and the chaos that we see on earth because it is this place of perfection. It's this place where sin doesn't happen. It's this place where there is innocence and there is purity. That's what His reign looks like. That's what his, his kingdom in heaven is. And it's that way because of His will is done. It's that way because He is ruling and everyone else and everything else is submissive to Him. They see that they don't want to be where He is because we know our role is not that. We are not God. We will never be God. And so we submit to Him. We put our mission in our life under His. And we desire what He desires. And you see, not all the people... And not all the evil forces that we see here that try to stop that and hinder that, that doesn't happen there. There are no hospital beds. There are none of those things there. All right? So we understand a little bit that His kingdom externally is, is heaven. And then we ask this second question. What is His will? What is it that God desires? What is it that God wants? And there's two verses, I think, that will help us understand this just a little bit. The first one... As in John chapter 6, verse 14. And, and, and Jesus is speaking in a couple verses about God's will in this time. And in uh, chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life and will, and will raise Him up on the last day. You see, the first part 
of God's will is for His people to have eternal life. It's the way to do that is through believing in Christ. And so what God wants, what God desires, is for all of His creation to be restored. He wants all of His people, all people, everyone, to see Christ and to experience Christ so they can have eternal life. The only way to have that is through believing in Christ, believing that He died on the cross, believing that He rose again, believing in His person and His work and His mission. And So the first will of God that Jesus gives us is He wants salvation for everyone. Right? And then there's the second part. is Not only does He want salvation for everyone, but He also wants sanctification. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes on to tell them kind of what that looks like specifically for them, right? But sanctification is one of these church words. It means that we become like saints. It means we become more holy. We become more like Him. And we're never going to be God. We're never going to be Christ. But we want to be more like Him. And so our attitudes and our actions become more like Him. This is the internal part of His kingdom. That His will works within us and His kingdom is within us. And our hearts turn away from our sins and towards Him. And His kingdom says that God is first in my life. That He sits on the throne in my life. That He is in complete control. And every part of my life is under His control, under His rule, and under His reign. Right? So God's kingdom is where He rules. His will is that everyone is saved and sees that, and that everyone follows through with that in sanctification, that everyone grows in their faith and becomes more like Him, right? So what does it mean, then, for us to pray that His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as in heaven, right? I'll give you very simple. It means we want earth to look like heaven looks, right? So understand that when we pray this prayer, it means that we want what we see and where we're living now to be like where we're going to be for all eternity. We mean that we want earth to be a place where God rules in the lives of not just a few, but in everyone. We want what Jesus said in Matthew or John chapter 6, verse 40, that everyone has this experience. We want earth to be this place of continual worship. We want earth to be this place of innocence and purity. We want earth to be this place where every creature finds its place and its perfect relationship with its creator. We want earth to look like heaven looks. We want earth to be like heaven is. All right. Now, all of us sitting in here, and we're all going to be like, yes, that would be awesome. I would love it if I woke up tomorrow, and I was in heaven, and I woke up tomorrow, and everything was perfect. Some of us are just sitting here right now, we're like, I'd just love to wake up tomorrow and not feel this aching in my shoulder. All right? I, see, I see some hands right here. Yeah. All right? Some of us would be just waking up, and we're like, I just wish I didn't have to go to work tomorrow for this terrible boss who's going to yell at me and cuss at me and all these stuff, or this terrible teacher that I've got. Some of us are just thinking so small because this is what we're used to. All right? And so we get excited, and we're like, yes, I would love if earth looked more like heaven. I would love if we woke up tomorrow, and all the things that we sang in that song, all the hospital beds, all the tears, all the pains, I would love it if all of that was gone. Right? And we're going to get excited. <laughs> some of you are like, okay, we get you. But some of you, 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 we should be excited about this. This is what we want. This is what we're praying for. Right? But let me give you this warning. If you're going to pray that part of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then what you're really doing is you're really giving yourself as an invitation to say, hey God, use me as an instrument to make that happen. God, here I am. Use me as an instrument to make your kingdom come, to make earth look more like heaven today than it did yesterday. 
Because this is what we're praying, right? And when we pray, we don't just use vain words of repetition. We don't just use these words because we don't mean them. He already warned us about that. So if we're going to pray this, that God, we want your kingdom to come and we want your will to be done, it means that we actively step in this role and say, God, use me to allow this to happen. Use me as an instrument of your kingdom, of your will, so that your kingdom expands and your will expands beyond what it is right now. God, I am your instrument to be used to expand your kingdom beyond what it is right now. You see, heaven is this place of worship. And if we want earth to look like heaven then, then we have to live a lifestyle of worship. We have to continually worship Him in all that we say and all that we do. And whether it's in this building or outside this building, we worship Him. When we're in this building or we're at work tomorrow or school tomorrow, what do we do? We worship Him. Why? Because that is what we said we prayed for. When we're in this building or we're in a common ground coffee and ice cream shop, what do we do? We worship Him. When we're in this building or we're out on the softball field, we worship Him because that's what we said we wanted it was for His kingdom to come. Whether we're in this building or we're over at Welcome Baptist in Sageville, which we're going to be working with and helping them uh, kind of revitalize their worship, what do we do? We worship Him. Why? Because that's what we prayed because we wanted His continual worship. But I want you to understand that in heaven, it's not just a few people worship. It is everybody that's worshipped. There's not a corner. There's not different people that are scattered out that aren't worshipping. In heaven, everyone is worshipping Him. And so if we want earth to look like heaven, then you better be willing, for be, you better be willing to introduce people to Him. You see, when we pray this prayer, we cannot worship a God that we don't know. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, tells us this, But how can they call on Him? How can they worship Him or pray to Him if they don't believe in Him? How can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Now, I know some of you are like, well, good. Well, I'm off the hook there because it said preacher. That's you, right? Can I share with you a secret? He's not talking about a paid church staff member. He's talking about a proclaimer. He's talking about somebody who will proclaim the gospel and somebody who will share the gospel and somebody who will take the gospel to anyone and anywhere unhindered. It doesn't matter because we are following the kingdom and the will of God. And so if we pray that His kingdom come and His will be done, it means that we're going to lengthen the ropes in our life. It means that we're going to do everything we can to extend His kingdom beyond the walls of this church because worship doesn't end when we leave this place. Why? Because His kingdom doesn't end here. His kingdom goes beyond these walls. His kingdom goes beyond our area that we are currently in. His kingdom gets us out of our comfort zone. And if we're going to pray this prayer that many of us have been praying since the time we were old enough to know this prayer and repeat this prayer, then it means we want His kingdom to be greater. We want it to expand all around us. It means that we need to be the one who says, Hey God, if you want somebody to carry the gospel to my friends that you've given me, then here I am. If you want somebody to carry the gospel to my neighbors and those who I work with every single day, here I am. And so when you ask for His kingdom to come and His will be done, you're giving yourself as an invitation. God, here I am. Use me. And so He's going to use some of us to carry the gospel and demonstrate worship in a coffee shop. He's going to use some of us to carry the gospel and demonstrate uh, worship on a softball field. He's going to use some of us to carry the gospel and demonstrate worship in ways that we haven't even thought of or haven't even imagined yet. And so I want you to understand that we've been talking about this idea of lengthening our ropes and expanding into areas around us. And I want you to understand that we don't do that because we want Cornerstone Baptist Church to be known. We don't do that because we want to be a mega church. We do that because this is what God tells us to pray for. 
We do that because we want His kingdom to come and His will to be done. We do that because we want His name to be exalted and worshipped, not just in this building, but in every area, in every aspect, in every corner of this earth. And so we're going to pray and we're going to lengthen the rope so that God is worshipped and that He is glorified so that more people will do exactly what He said in verse 9. They will honor and His name is holy. We're going to pray and we're going to lengthen our ropes so that His will is done. And His will is that more people will come to Him and more people will call Him Father. We're going to pray and we're going to lengthen our ropes that His will is done and people will be sanctified and they'll become more like Him.